Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I hope everybody's doing well today. Today we have John D. Hawkins in the studio on the Unimpressed podcast today. And I'm unimpressed that I don't know or didn't know all the things that you have done up to this point before being a lawyer. Yeah. Welcome, Thank the you. Hawk. It's great to be here. Honored to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you came in and uh, had a long shoot last night. Yes, we did. We did. Very cold. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. I was hoping that you didn't catch a chill and get a cold or something and not be able to show up today, but it looks like you're doing pretty good this morning. I'm all right. I'm all right. The last time I was that cold... I was in the army. We were marching all night and we came up to this truck where they had like a little chicken broth. They gave us a little paper cups and it was the best thing I've ever tasted. And being out there last night, that reminded me of, of how cold I was that night, just right down to the bone. So, uh, it was cold. Talking about the military, when did you start that journey? I, I was in high school and, and, I, and I couldn't stand it. And, uh, I was so desperate to get out that I enlisted in the in the Air Force National Guard at 17. I had to have my mom and dad sign to let me in. They're like, well, you're going to miss your graduation. I said, you know, that's okay. <laughs> so I went, shipped off, and went to basic training. And uh, the drill sergeant started yelling at me. And I'm like, I wish I was back at my graduation again. Uh-huh. So I started at 17 and was in total 23 years in the wow. Air Force and Army uh, National Guard in South Carolina. You know, my daughter's 15. Yes. Right. And you're 17 going into the military. What did that look like and feel like during that time? It's a shock to the system because it is, you know, it's, it's just different than anything you've ever done before. Basic training is, is tough by nature. You know, they just basically break you down and remake you into what they want you to be. And it was a great experience for me. You know, I learned a lot about discipline, being on time. You know, making my bed um, and just doing a lot of things that I think a lot of people don't really think of doing as important, but a lot of basic life skills that, that allowed me to have a real good foundation for the future, and mainly leadership, you know, especially when I got to be an officer, um, being becoming a leader and learning, learning the military's method of leadership was super good for me and it helped me all throughout my career, especially, you know, in my, in my work now. How did you move up? Like you go in at 17... You go in, what is a private? Private airman, E-1, went through my officer course, graduated that, became a second lieutenant. And uh, and then I went up, rose through the rank to be major before I retired. So when you became a lieutenant, you know, what was your vein of focus? Like, what, what was your specialty? I was a signal uh, platoon leader. So I was a platoon leader. I had about 30, 40 soldiers under my command. And, you know, you're just a junior leader. So you're trying to have your troops prepared, trained. All the while, you're wet behind the ears. You're trying to learn what you're doing as well. A, I was selected to become a general's aide. So the brigade commander picked me to be his uh, aide-de-camp. And um, and that was cool. I got to fly around in helicopters and, you know, go to different units and just watch decisions being made on a very high level. You know, we spoke a little bit last night, and my perception – 
of you was a little different, you know, uh, just but just because I see in this space you're working in currently and how lawyers are perceived and how they run ads and so forth of like, I'm tough, you know, got the dog in the backyard, call me because I'm tough and strong. And then you show up and I start talking to you and I, I thought that you came from a very intellectual thought process um, how you do business, just speaking with you. When you were in that first rank in Army, did that did that start resonating with your confidence, uh, or did you were you always very very smart as as a kid? At life is just about an evolution. So I was really bored in 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 high school, and before that, I was really bored. I made very average grades, um, and then I was uh, I was accepted to go to Walford. I went to Walford, and I got my first semester. I really really love studying, and I really love getting good grades. And so I did pretty well at Walford, inspired to learn more and became very passionate about that. I never was really much into sports. I wanted to be, but I really just uh, was never that really good at sports. So I tended to gravitate more toward books and more toward history and politics and philosophy. And I was an English major, so language is very important. So life has just been an evolution for me. Uh, and basically one of the things is, is, is you start life kind of cocky. You know, like mm-hmm. I got this. I know everything. You're sort of girded up by, you know, human evolution to be really cocky when you're young. And I've had a lot of that knocked out of me. And I hope if my journey is anything has become a, a lot more humble. And, and that makes me able to relate more to the people that we serve at Hawklaw who have been just knocked flat on their uh, rear ends by some car wreck or work injury that's just, you know, knocked them out of the game. And so that humility, it, it helps me serve them better. The first position in the military, how fast did Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What was the time period you went to Walford, and how fast did you move up the ranks? Pretty normal progression speed in the peacetime army. Going from a private to a and, and being on the enlisted side and then becoming an officer, that's another thing where you're like, you know, you kind of see both sides of it. But it was a it was it was a progression where I basically learned a lot, uh, learned a lot of lessons, a lot of hard lessons, and was able to sort of store up, unbeknownst to me, this these lessons of leadership and you know service. A big part of my life has been about service and. That that service allows me now to help my clients by serving them, mm-hmm. not that my clients, you know, somehow 
owe me anything. I owe them everything, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they, cho- they, they chose me and I'm honored that they did. So it's really learning about service and about humility starting from that. Did you stay active while you went to Walford or did you go? I to- did. I had periods where I went on active duty for training mm-hmm. and, um, most memorable was Fort Bragg, <laughs> six weeks of, uh, I think they called it advanced camp, but anyway, it was just, it was six weeks of very, very difficult training. A lot of, you know, being outdoors in the rain and the lightning. I can remember this time where we had to stack arms because lightning storms would come over and we would be out in the woods and there's nowhere to go. So you just stack your, you stack your weapons and you just sit back to back with another person and hope lightning doesn't strike you and seeing lightning strike all around. Now, this is nothing compared to, you know, what people endure in combat, right? That, yeah. that, that is nothing compared to that. I don't uh-huh. want to even say that, but, you know, it was tough. And, you know, digging foxholes and sleeping in the ground. And I remember one day, wait, one, one evening, it come a huge rainstorm, and I woke up, and I was finally caught some sleep, an hour of sleep, face down in the mud. And I woke up and I said, what are those little white things? And it was a little nest of white spiders. It was right underneath my face. Uh-huh. I'm really going, this is not, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, this isn't normal. I saw in there where you became a JAG officer. Yes. Now, was that after Walford? Was that during the time at Walford? What was that? That was after Walford. I had been a general's aide and, uh, and then I switched over to become a JAG officer and applied for that. And that's a very rigorous process and tough to get into the JAG Corps. Uh, but I really enjoyed doing that. And then I became basically attached to a, a command where I would give advice to the general and, and work on courts marshals and things like that and go around and brief troops on the use of force. Um, so that was, that was fun. Judge Advocate General Corps, um, was, it was a great experience. It sort of melded together the military and the law. Uh huh. For me. Well, I mean, we had an instance last night. I won't, I won't say exactly what that, that was, but there were some details of the shoot last night and attention to detail. Did the JAG position uh, help you realize you were very good at attention to detail? My mother taught me to be obsessed with detail. Mm -hmm. And um, she was very much about cleaning. You know, you kept the house clean, you kept your room clean, and you put everything away the same way every time. So I think if if you've got a company... Uh, you, you want to give everybody the same exact service tailored to them. So if you, you know, you don't, you don't want different service if you deal with a company than somebody else. You want to be given the same service and a high level of service. Uh-huh. So that detail is extremely important. The focus on, on detail, every little tiny thing matters. And that's what separates really people or companies from other companies is what level of detail, what level of obsession with, customer service do you have right down to the finest little detail? And that's one thing we're obsessed with at Hawk Law, something we call ACE or amazing client experience, where mm-hmm. every client should have an amazing experience. Yeah, And that is our culture. We always talk about it ourselves, and everybody should should know about ACE and live by that and give every customer, every client a great experience. Well, I mean, attention to detail is a big thing for me, too, especially mm-hmm. here. You can ask Matt. Sometimes yes. I... You know, like, why are you talking about this? So it says attention to detail. You right. got to, you know, you got to live, eat, right. drink right. what you do right. and notice everything. How do you implement that thought process into the younger generation? Because I think sometimes technology distracts us from certain things. And what is your approach to to that? I like to talk about, I read a, a biography uh, by Walter Isaacson of Leonardo da Vinci. 
mm-hmm. and he was obsessed with detail to the point of obsession. And the Mona Lisa, which is probably the most famous painting in the history of the world, he had that painting and he kept it with him and they found it after he died in his studio. What he did is he would keep the painting and he would go back every once in a while, maybe once every six months and just put a tiny little brush stroke somewhere on her that only he knew. Mm-hmm. And nobody else could probably even tell the difference. And he just kept and he kept doing that over the course of his life. And what you had at the end was this absolute masterpiece. And so I think whatever your passion is, your, your, whatever you're doing, your project, something that really matters to you. Go back and put those tiny little brush strokes on it every once in a while mm-hmm. that only you can see. And the final product becomes this masterpiece. But it, it, it requires a level of obsession to that detail mm-hmm. to become that truly great. And how do you translate that to a, to a younger, a 20-something, early 30-something? How do we translate that? Well, you know, every, well, most people have a passion, something they really, really love doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe if you're going to do something, you might as well do it great. I mean, really, you have two ways you can do something, right? A plus mm-hmm. and a minus. You can either do it crappily or you can do it to extreme excellence. Choose mm-hmm. one of the two. So if you have this binary choice, choose extreme excellence mm-hmm. and pursue that. So uh, whatever it is you're doing in, in Hawklaw, for example – uh, we have a wonderful team of people and they, they go out and they get medical records, which is a fine art, you know, getting, getting medical records for our clients, getting the right records from the right place at the right time that, you know, they're correct and full and all that. That is extremely important work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, go out and do that to the greatest possible detail of excellence you can. And every team we have at Hawklaw, that's just, that's what I constantly preach mm-hmm. and try to set the example is whatever your team does, it's integral to the whole process of helping our clients go out and do it with an obsession to excellence. Now, when you ask for something that may be off the wall and and your people are looking at you, right? And they're like, sometimes they say, why is he asking us to get that? Yes. But then when they bring it in, is is there an epiphany moment of, Hey, I, I realize why we're doing this now. Yeah. Well, when you're handling a case for a client, it's mm-hmm. not like this robotic, process that's that's just you know one and done it really is about painting a masterpiece for that particular client Mm -hmm. it's about number one making that client feel that they're treasured right not just wanted not just needed but absolutely treasured as something precious and that's where we start right and then for that client you're building their case you're painting those tiny little brush strokes Mm -hmm. like on the mona lisa so the end of that case not only does the client feel treasured, feel appreciated, and feel loved, and like family, but they also say, you know what? My case was handled extremely well. I wasn't just sort of rushed in, rushed out. I was actually embraced, and they paid such attention. So when we we go, we're in, we're crazy about going after like finding out from our clients. You know how how are we doing? How did we do? You know, most companies just want to hear the good stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to hear the less than good. I want to hear, you know, you know, here's here's what you could have done better because that's the stuff you can learn from. Mm-hmm. So, and normally what that is is just a question of putting that extra brush stroke on the Mona Lisa. It's about just giving that extra level of detail and the clients that are the happiest with us, those are the folks who we have they feel like we have paid attention to the smallest detail. Are you hands-on with pretty much obviously you have a a pretty big workload? Are you pretty much hands-on with all your your cases? 
Well, everything anybody does at Hawklaw, I've done before. I started the firm in 2002. It was just me in a small room the size of a closet Mm -hmm. with a phone, and the phone never rang. And I was, you know, part time looking after my uh, or fathering my my young my oldest daughter. So there's no job there I haven't done. Mm -hmm. I used to pick up the phone and make sure it's not a dial tone because nobody called. Mm-hmm. And we started it from that in 2002. It's 20 years later. Uh, our anniversary, 20 year anniversary is going to be March, uh, 2nd of 2022. I, there's no job I haven't done. So I know how the staples ought to go in the piece of paper. I know where the holes ought to be punched. I know where the, where everything ought to be filed. Mm-hmm. And I was able to sort of build it all up myself. And that was a great way for me to learn everything about. Firm. I've done all kinds of cases myself. I've tried cases in in different courts, federal courts, state courts, magistrate courts. Yeah, so I'm hands on. And then, of course, I'm you know I'm I'm ultimately responsible. The buck stops with me mm-hmm. for the thousands of cases that we're lucky enough to be able to handle. I mean, that's a lot of cases, thousand cases. Well, right, each year. multiples of thousands. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, and that goes back to the attention to detail. Yes. Right. You have to understand each case. I yes. would I would imagine. Yes. And then. Circling back to Walford, you know, families must be very, very important to you because if you were somewhere else in a different part of the country, starting out in the military, you come home and mama was home. And, you know, what is what does that mean to you? Like family and, you know, that that's a sign to me, you know, if you came home and went to school at Walford that, hey, you wanted to be close to family. Yeah, I did want to be close to my family. I grew up in a little town called Roebuck in Spartanburg. Loved it. Grew up in the woods, basically, playing in the woods all the time, covered with ticks and uh, building little treehouse forts in the back in the woods and all that. And, um, you know, I was always very comfortable with my family, you know, and, and hanging out with them, my dad, my mom. Um, so, yeah, fam- family is extremely important. And you said you have how many daughters? Two daughters. Two daughters. How do they feel about what you do? Sort of just take it for granted because it's what I've always been doing ever since they've been sort of paying attention. Yeah. And my my wife has been wonderful, supportive of me as I've grown the firm. Because when I first met her, you know, it was it was a very small business and it's grown quite large. And she's been very helpful to me and in inspiring me. So you can do this. You know, when we, we start out in Spartanburg, mm-hmm. we expanded to Greenville. I mean, mm-hmm. usually it works the other way around, you know. You yeah. Start out in Greenville, you go to Spartanburg. But uh, we went from Spartanburg to Greenville to uh, to Charleston to Columbia, and now we're statewide. And you pull you pull clients from all over the state, all over the state. We yeah. do. We're very very fortunate. Before I knew who you were, you could drive down twenty six. It's twenty six out here, right? Yeah, and see the signs and and so forth. And a lot of people know who you are. You know, perception to me, like now meeting you, there's a lot of bandwidth there's a lot of rich information there's a lot of detail with what you do and you were lucky enough did you go non-active and you got into politics i kind of did everything at the same time so it was a sort of three tack three track thing where i was in the national guard uh which is a part-time and then i was doing uh, politics which is also part-time in theory but it really is full-time and i was doing the law so I was doing all those three things. So multitasking was extremely important to me to be able to, to keep up with all that and do it all effectively. And what did you do? You were in the South Carolina State Senate. South Carolina House of Representatives and South Carolina Senate. I was elected to the South Carolina House in 1996 at mm-hmm. the age of 27. 
And uh, I was one of the youngest ones there to be elected. Was in the Senate for eight years after that. So that was another huge education for me that's helped me build Hawk Law. Because in that process, I learned how to talk to to, to virtually everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, talk to folks in the grocery store, talk to governors, talk to U.S. senators, meet presidents, you know, go to the White House. That's such a, I, I really was very lucky to have such a broad set of experiences mm-hmm. um, that when I would go into a courtroom, you know, I was not, I, I was not intimidated. Yeah. Because, you know, I had had all these other experiences, you know, both in the military and in politics, going in the courtroom and being able to talk to a jury, which mm-hmm. is, which is very, very few lawyers. And I'm not bragging here. It's just, it's, it's, it's that you don't have that opportunity. Lawyers don't have that opportunity that much to go to court anymore because, uh, you know, alternate dispute resolution and mediations and all that. A lot of cases end up settling. So I was lucky because I had such a ability. I tried so many different cases at so many different levels. Uh-huh. And I learned how to talk to juries and I learned how to not talk at them or talk down to them, but, but converse with them mm-hmm. in a way that they would come out and go, you know, this, this, this guy is like, he's talking to me as an equal, which of course they are. We are equals. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever feel talked down to, which I think a mistake a lot of lawyers make is they talk down to people. Mm-hmm. They assume because they have a law degree that that somehow makes them special. Yeah. When in fact, it just means you have a law degree. <laughs> have a little humility yeah. when you talk to people, you know, mm-hmm. and don't come at them like, you know, Mr. High and Mighty Lawyer or Doctor or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's how people want to be treated. That's how I want to be treated. And when I go to the doctor's office, I want a doctor who's going to like, you know, treat me with respect. I don't yeah. want somebody that's going to go, you know, you don't know what you're doing and, and, and I've got all the knowledge and you've got none. I, I hate these upside down power relationships mm-hmm. uh, or, or these what I should call disproportionate power relationships where because I'm the lawyer and you're the client, I've got the knowledge you don't. Therefore, you know, you're kind of like subordinate. I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. I, I come at it as as, as equals, you know. I could just as easily be sitting where you are. I can relate to that. I mean, that's an evolution coming from a small town. Yes. Right? Because I think I come from a very small town in Bostick, North Carolina, right? And you see certain things, lawyer, president, you know, big personalities, yes. right? And sometimes when you come from that space, you kind of kowtow right. to those representations, right? But obviously – you being able to meet presidents and, and certain types of big names, you start to realize that, hey, we're all the same. Yeah. Right? And we can do the same thing they're doing. They just have a different title. Right. Is that is that kind of the evolution yeah. thought process coming from a small town? Yeah, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Yeah. So it's how we perceive them. And, of course, the presidency is, you know, very special. I did not come from money. Um, my I was, you know— First person in my family ever to go to law school. And uh, my father was a high school graduate. My mother is a high school graduate. And uh, my daddy owned a gas station. And so I remember when I was 10 years old, I went up to him and I said, uh, Daddy, you know, I want to work. I want a job. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he goes, all right, you can come to the gas station with me on Saturday. So I'd go every Saturday morning, 6 a.m., and work at the gas station pumping gas. The old school back when you used to pump the gas, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great learning experience for me, you know, so I started work really, really early and I've always loved working. 
Chick-fil-A. I worked Chick-fil-A for five years. You know, I've done a lot of jobs that, you know, have given me a broad range of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think a lot of times if you don't have that experience, like if you don't see how things can be from a humble beginning, yes. Yes. right? And then you see the top of the food chain, if you will, whatever that looks like. Right. Right. I mean, that's a big deal because I think sometimes, you know, if you don't have that experience and you're stuck in a space that may be a wealthy space, I think to some degree you come not, you become naive to the rest of the world because that's all you know. You become environmentally driven in a certain space and, and you almost, people don't realize they need to learn those other things right. to really understand people the right way. In right. my opinion, I mean, right. that's, that's my experience. Right. You know, I mean, relatability and, and say, Hey, this guy, you know, I always say I could live in a ditch as long as I'm happy. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think, you know, it, it, you want somebody who has lived a broad life, you know, not somebody who's just simply had everything handed to them on a silver platter, which I have not. And I'm very grateful that I have not had things handed to me on a silver platter. Um, there are a lot of people out there who had, you know, much, much worse. I don't want to portray it like that. I've just, I've just, I've had a taste of, of, of roughness and of, you know, of, of difficulty that has given me the ability to, if you're a client of Hawklaw, you were before the event that made you call us, you were living a, a normal life, you know, taking your kids to school, work, whatever it is you're doing in your life. You get hit by a car, not your fault. All of a sudden, you're knocked off your 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 horse, so to speak. You're mm-hmm. you're basically sitting there going, "My life has been become deranged by the fault of this other person." I now have a wrecked car. I now have personal injuries. I now have bills. I now have to take time off work. My boss is looking at me like, "Why aren't you able to work?" Your spouse may be looking at you like, "Why aren't you able to work?" You know, your whole self esteem is hurt. So we have to be able to understand what that person is going through in that moment in time when they mm-hmm. have had a, had an accident or a workplace accident or whatever. And understand, it's more than just about helping that person with their case, their law case. It's about helping that person get back to where they were before mm-hmm. and hopefully even better if you can. You know, it's about justice, right? Mm-hmm. It's about our laws, which say if someone is negligent and they cause damages to someone else, they have to be responsible for that. We live in an American society where people should be responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not intentional actions, they still have to be responsible. Well, I was going to say, I always say people have this, you know, everybody has the same sensitivities, right? Now, the percentage makeup, there may be different types of people that have are made up of different things, but in general, people have the same sensitivities. So I think understanding those sensitivities is a big deal. Yes. When they come in the door. Yes. That's the other part is you, as a lawyer, you can get a little bit like distance from the situation. I think you have to appreciate what the person is going through. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just got in a car wreck. I just got My car got crunched and, and I now have, have problems. I have back pain or neck pain or, Whatever, because, you know, you get hit, it hurts, and it sometimes it causes real damages. And what is that person actually feeling? You know, beyond just what do I have to do to get this person, you know, their money and get them compensated, how can I actually take care of this person as a human being and get them back, you know? And big part of that is understanding and being kind and, and you know, 
understanding the emotions that they're going through. We are fortunate enough. They call it hawk law. Mm-hmm. And so we're never going to take that for granted. Mm-hmm. We're going to obsess over making sure this person is treated as, as, as absolute well as possible. And that includes at the end of the day, trying to get them as much compensation as we can. We're not in the business of saving insurance companies money. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, they have lawyers for that. Yeah. You know, they're paid <clears throat> large amounts of money uh, to make sure that people that are injured get nothing or little. That's what they're, that's what they're paid to do. Mm-hmm. We are, what we, we want to do at the end of the day is not only take care of that person's human being, but make sure that person is compensated to the fullest extent possible. So we go, we go for as big a numbers as we can get. How do you, how do you define a personal injury attorney? I define it as, as, as a service, right? As, as a, as a service that we're, we're obligated to perform to our clients. That's how I define mm-hmm. it. I, I define it as, taking care of this person, getting them the maximum compensation that we can at the same time, make sure we treat them like human beings and with respect and dignity that they deserve. Now I I have a scenario. My parents were, they were driving from North Carolina up to New Jersey uh, and they had a a tractor trailer truck, ran them off the road. Yes. And it was a bad wreck. I mean, they had some issues and my parents didn't, do anything they yeah. didn't get an attorney or anything right right so you know because it's like nah my mom's like very nice she's like ah you know i don't yeah. want you know i mean what do you what do you do what if somebody's in that situation right and obviously and it was the truck driver's fault All right what does someone do in that situation i think a lot of people just feel bad they're like well well if i go see a lawyer or if i try to pursue this I am somehow less than a good person. And I think that's, a, that's it's very sad that that to me is sort of permeated people's thinking. I think that, you know, she was driving. She didn't ask to be in that situation. She, If you could go back and ask her, I'm sure she would have not been in that situation. But there she was. The driver was negligent. He may be a nice person, but he was negligent. And he has insurance, right? Mm-hmm. And insurance is there for that situation. So I would say to your mom, you know, I'm terribly sorry you had this accident, but hey, let's go, let's get justice here. And that, that truck driver is going to be okay, but let's go get you compensation for your injuries to make things right. And that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to basically balance, balance things out as the old scales of justice. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, you know, try to say this, but it really is. We want to balance things out. You know, we can't go back and take the wreck away from you. We can't go back and make these injuries go away, but we can try to get you compensated for them. That's the American system. It, it works. Mm-hmm. And you need, you need a lawyer to do it because if you're counting on the good faith of the, uh, other driver's insurance company, um, you're, you're making a big mistake. From the time somebody walks in the door to a, a case is finished. How how long do these cases take? It just depends on the case. It really depends. But I mean, we try to basically get it done as quick as we can because we understand this is a liability for the client, right? Mm-hmm. It's something sitting there. We all have things that are sitting there in our in our mental closet, so to speak, that are a pain in our neck or something we we think about, we dread, we don't like talking about it, we want it to be over with, whether it's sickness or whatever. Um, we understand this is one of those things. So the sooner we can complete it, get the get our client compensation, mm-hmm. be able to put this to bed for them so they can get on with their lives and do other things and not have to worry about it anymore, 
we do that as rapidly as possible. So my rule at Hawk Law for our folks is as soon as a case can be moved from one stage to the next, move it because the client doesn't want it sitting there gathering dust. Move mm-hmm. it quickly. Get it done. And the golden rule, do to my team, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. How would you want to be treated? You know? mm-hmm. And you talked about you talked about your move from uh, Spartanburg to Greenville. Yes, and that area has had a lot of growth, right? Right, and you've become somewhat, you know, or you have become a brand. You know, a lot of people know who you are. It, my parents are in, in North Carolina, not South Carolina, but they're close to Greenville in that area and go to eat in Greenville and stuff. How has that growth in that area helped you in Hawklaw? I kind of had a name because of being in politics for. 12 years. So a lot of people knew me and, uh, and then building up the firm it's, and we have become a brand. We have become a brand. I hope we become a brand that people really like and people really appreciate and want to call when they get in a difficult situation. You're downtown Greenville, the main office. Where are you at? Uh, we have an office in, in Greenville. Uh Um, not terribly far from downtown. Oh, okay. We have an office in Spartanburg, Greenville, Columbia, and Charleston. Someone there, another attorney running each office? We really take advantage of technology. Okay. So when you have an accident, it's just not located to one – it may have happened in one specific place, but the things that need to be done go all over the state and all over the country. When you deal with the insurance company, getting the medical records from this hospital and this part of the state and that part of the state. So we use technology, and we use the Internet to the maximum effect possible. So we still have that human touch, but your case is going to be handled as advanced technology as we can with advanced technology as we could possibly use. Cause that just helps you. We can move if we can, if we can get something done by doing it electronically in an hour versus it would take, you know, five days in the mail, we'll do it in an hour. Gotcha. We can't always do that, but we try. So yeah, bricks and mortar. We, we have those. We have those physical offices and, and any client that wants to, it's all about what the client wants. If the client wants to come into the office and meet with their lawyer, they can do that. Mm-hmm. If they want somebody to, if they want to do it for, 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 with a conference call, that's with their preference. They can do that. Okay. We text. A lot of people love to text. I love to text. Yes. Um, yeah, I noticed that. We, uh, yeah. We, we get a lot of text. Yeah. We get a lot of text on the group, that group text. If, if I could do something with a text, Versus calling somebody on the phone for 30 minutes, I mm-hmm. would prefer to do the text. I think a lot of people prefer that. But if they don't, they want the old school, they can get the old school. If somebody's in Charleston, South Carolina, and they need a lawyer, and they want to find Hawk Law, right? What do they do? I just Google Hawk Law and hit call. <laughs> and hit call. <laughs> hit call. And then, and then it's uh, off to the races. Easy peasy. Tw- 24-7 coverage on the phones. and you know, you, you're going to be able to talk to somebody, a human being, yeah, who's going to get right on addressing your concerns, whatever, whatever you need. But no, we, I, we it's rapid response. It, it, it is, and I'm very proud of our website. Very proud of our the way we offer our services digitally, mm-hmm. or you know, on the phone or in person, whatever. We have a team of investigators that span the state, and they can be anywhere uh, within a you know within a, a quick time. And so we have, we also have those boots on the ground as well. So this is what, whatever the client prefers, you know, your mom, for example, I, I, you know, she, she may be my mom, my mother would be a little bit more old school, but yeah. she might want to come into the office and bring her paperwork and have that kind of experience. Fine. She can have that. If she wants it done 
uh, on you know Hello Sign or DocuSign, she can have that as well. The intelligence, the attention to detail. Uh, I mean, your personality uh, is a lot different than I expected, right? And I, I think in a good way, right? Uh, I think you're very soft, very inviting. Uh, a lot of attorneys don't have that, right? You know, and the th- ones that I've met outside of that professional world, what do you do? You do anything? Do you have any hobbies or? Anything like that? What do you like to do? Yeah, I love to read. I love to spend time with my my children and with my wife. I love to be outdoors, and I love to ride my bicycle, and uh, I listen to a lot of books on tape. What is your inspiration to, for a book? I like I like nonfiction, history, things like that, biography. I think that's so interesting. You know, fiction is great, but so much happens in real life that's almost better than fiction. Mm-hmm. More interesting than fiction. And what are your what are your goals the next five years? My goal is simply to help as many people um, who get injured in an accident as I possibly can, and to give them an amazing client experience, and have them walk away going, you know, I'm really sorry that I had that wreck, but it was almost uh, it almost made up for it because of the way I was treated by my by Hawk Law. And to me, that is that is the goal, is to help as many people as we possibly can because we think we have something very special. Mm-hmm. And we think that if somebody has been in a car wreck or had a work accident, that we can, we can sort of wrap our arms around them as they go through that process and do more than just, you know, handle their case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to go and get as much of a, of a settlement as we can for them as the circumstances of the case allow right Mm -hmm. and it depends on the case but at the same time you know we're going to do it in such a way that they feel like you know hey it's almost like that i stayed at the ritz carlton Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as i stayed at a five-star hotel and it was great it was one of the it was was, the way i was treated was better than i've been treated in any other any other field if we can do that that's what we try to do that's our goal and i said last night when we're at the shoot you know, I, I think somewhat based on the the marketing and you see uh, out there for this space. Yes. Right. I think you're somewhat a, vi- a visionary seeing uh, putting yourself in our space. You know, hook, you hooked up with uh, Graham and Ethan and, you know, they brought a level of production uh, to this space that I haven't seen. Right now we're kind of uh, taking it up a notch and, and taking it to a more social environment. Uh what do you think about that level of production and, and, and that that process with your business? Well, I think that a lot of people think the law has to be incredibly serious all the time. And I think that can equate to boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, when, when an accident happens to someone, it's deadly serious. And there's nothing to be nothing to joke about there. But at the same time, I think we as lawyers can take ourselves way too seriously. And I've been guilty of this in the past as well. We go, you know, what what we're doing right now is the most important thing on the face of the planet. I think people appreciate more if you can kind of like, you know, not take yourself not take yourself quite so seriously mm-hmm. as a as a lawyer. And let's let's just you know let's deflate some of that air out of you, Mister Cocky Lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. and don't take yourself quite so seriously. Be able to laugh at yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to the the, the 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 content we're doing now really is designed to try to basically do that, you know, it's to sort of say, hey, 
I'm a serious lawyer. I've done serious things. I've had to handle very serious cases and multi-million dollar cases uh-huh. over and over again. I've done that uh, throughout my career. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I'm a person like everybody else. Like, and I want to try to connect with that person, you know. And I think humor is a good way to do it, too, because I think you can tell it. If the goal of, of lawyer advertising is to tell the public, hey, mm-hmm. you need a lawyer when you get in an accident, um, what's the best way to communicate that message? Is it by talking down to people and by being super puffed up and by being arrogant and cocky? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't think people want to be talked to that way. I think it's by it's using a little dose of humor mixed in there, something memorable, something uh, fun. And I also think people, you know, lawyer commercials come on all the time. So I think I owe it to people that have to watch my lawyer commercials. I think I owe it to them that they have something that's kind of interesting and funny to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean we're taking anything lightly, but it just means, hey, you know, I appreciate the fact that you, your eyeballs have to watch this thing on the TV five times a day or 10 times a day. And I want it to be a little bit interesting for you. I want it to be, I want it to be funny and interesting. And then through that process of hopefully having a look, having a sense of humor, and connecting in a way that's sort of non-traditional, I'll, I hope I can get my message across to them, which is, hey, if you get in an accident, don't go it alone. You need help. You need somebody. If I can do that through a funny analogy and that message resonates more, then, mm-hmm. I, then, then I've, I've achieved what I'm trying to achieve. Speaking about that uh, and about the level of quality that uh, Graham and Ethan have brought uh, to the table, uh Integrating that message uh, with these scenarios, like Feisty Pete, right? You've got a lot of reaction about Feisty Pete. Tell me how that relates to, you know, the storyline relates to what you do. Feisty Pete was born out of, you know, the, the we, you know, a part of our practice is dog bites. You know, there are dogs out there who bite people and, and hurt them very badly. And there should be accountability for that. Uh, and so... We were trying to tell the story of, you know, a, a dog body, but we were doing it in such a way that it was, was pretty funny, right? Like a big dog bites, but, but Feisty Pete's a, a small dog. He's a tiny, she's a tiny little dog, Chihuahua. So it's just sort of the irony, you know, between a big dog and the, and the little Chihuahua is funny. And plus it was sort of born out of a situation where with my daughter, we were, um, in California at this ranch and there was horses and there was a little Chihuahua there and my daughter, she was she was much younger at the time. She was probably probably twelve, and she went up to pet this little Chihuahua, and she said, "Oh, you cute little cute little doggy!" And the Chihuahua just went Arr! and started chasing her yeah. all over the place, and we were all <laughs> doubled over in laughter. Yeah, that this little Chihuahua just took such offense at her trying to be nice to her, and she she ended up you know nothing happened, but it was so funny. And I thought, man, that'd be a funny story to tell, right? Like this Chihuahua is just this big bad. Bandito sitting uh-huh. on a horse, you know, versus me. And the other part of it too is like, you know, I have to be the biggest, toughest guy in town. And I think people want to see lawyers kind of taking down a little notch, you know, yeah. off their little high horse, no pun intended, where they're like, hey, you know, hey, this person, you know, he does he doesn't try to pretend to be Superman or Superwoman. Uh huh. He's just he's you know he, he can he can take having that sense of humor. I think, and that is sort of ability to laugh at yourself. I think that's that's kind of what we're what we're going for uh-huh. in all these. Awesome. And I think people are connecting with it, you know. 
be on the lookout. We had I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on the creative we did last night, but these guys come up with some great stuff, and uh, there's going to be a lot more entertaining commercials coming out soon. Yes, entertaining with the message, but the message isn't like forced down your throat. Yeah. You know, it, the message is there, which is, hey, you need a lawyer. If you get if you get in an accident, get yourself a lawyer. Get yourself a good lawyer. Because you're going to need it. Because the other side, if you if you try to go it alone, the other side has lawyers conniving ways to stop you from getting what you know what justice requires. So don't go it alone. You know, help, have somebody help you in, in the in the fight. Mm-hmm. So there's it's humor, but always always that message. Well, John, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank it was you. a good conversation. Finding out more about you and. You know, how you live your life, how you work, and who you are and what you are is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been an honor to be here. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. So this has been The Hawk, John D. Hawkins, Hawk Law. Y'all check him out. Uh, if you need help in South Carolina, Google Hawk Law. He's the guy to go to. Um, I'm John Edmonds Cosma, uh, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 